Hey, this is Evan Black, pastor of Faith for Life Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for joining us today. If you don't yet know Jesus, I'm so glad that you're listening, and I pray that this message empowers you to give your life to Christ. If you're just starting out on your journey with Jesus, I hope this empowers you to connect with Him. If you're strong in your connection to Christ, I believe this message will empower you to follow Him. So enjoy today's message. How you guys doing this morning, Faith for Life? That would have been all right if that was maybe, you know, a six o'clock service. How you guys doing this morning? Who loves Jesus in this place this morning? Can we give Jesus a shout of praise just real quick this morning? Jesus, we love you. We thank you for breathing into us the breath of life this morning. We honor you, Daddy. We exalt you in this place. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence in this room this morning. Come on, we honor you. Come on, out of your own lips. Come on, we, we worship you. We bless you, King of kings, Lord of lords, great I am. You're everything that we need you to be when we need you to be that. We exalt you. Come on, we exalt you above our problems in this moment. We exalt you above every situation that we might be facing in this moment, above every circumstance in this moment. Come on, there's only one King of kings. Come on, and his name is Jesus. His blood still heals. His blood still heals. We thank you, Father. We bless you, Daddy. We bless you, Daddy. Come on, we bless you, Daddy. We bless you, King. We bless you, King. We bless you, King. How many of you guys know we serve an amazing God? We serve an amazing God. You can grab your seats real quickly. I'm only going to be up here before you guys real briefly this morning. Uh, as he said, my name is Cobb. It's spelled K-A-B. It's been butchered my whole life. Uh, people say cab, I answer to almost anything. People come up to me and say, oh, like corn on the cob or cob salad, and they laugh, and I kind of laugh like it's the first time I heard it. But, you know, I've heard it my whole life. But um, anyway, it's an honor to be with you guys this morning. And uh, before I get into a long spiel, because I can't be long-winded, I want to give honor where honor is due. You guys are serving underneath amazing leadership in Pastor Evan and Pastor Priscilla Black. You guys are serving underneath amazing leadership in Pastor Black. Come on, these are, this is, this, these are the people that spiritually feed you every week. They get before God every week to give you some bread, fresh bread every week. There we go, there we go. Seriously, anytime you find some uh, leaders who really value integrity and who honor God and who really live a life uh, that mirrors what they they speak about, man, get under that, follow that, lift those arms up. And so you guys are sitting underneath some amazing leadership, and I'm going to go ahead and just jump right into this word this morning. I had a, a different direction I was going to go this morning. I wanted to come in here and just get a message that will shout a little bit and, you know, and just leave, right? But I feel like it's somewhat of a, a, a carryover from last night and what we spoke about at the men's conference this past weekend. I don't ever want to take an opportunity just standing up here uh, to make it about myself and not pointing people to Jesus Christ. I don't know when is the last, I don't know if I'll ever get another opportunity to stand up here before these faces this morning. And so anytime I stand up here, I'm like, Holy Spirit, it's on you. What do you want to say? I'll get myself out of the way. What, what do you want to say? And so I'm going to encourage you guys here this morning to, to lean in. I'm going to ask you to do something just real quick. It might seem a little bit awkward to you, but just lean forward real quick. As far as you can. Okay, keep that whole posture the entire service. <laughs> keep that posture the entire service. All right, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. 
be real quick with you here this morning. Round Rock, Austin, I love this place. It'll get you fat, though. Okay, 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. And it reads, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given him victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she had served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who was in Israel, or excuse me, who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter, I'm sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? What does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me? When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stepped, excuse me, and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be, will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God. Wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Arbana and Farfar, the, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the rivers of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So we turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you have not done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So we went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, now I know that there is no God in all the world except Israel. Let's just bow our heads for a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence already being in this room. God, I pray in this moment that you will prepare the hearts of every single here that's in this room to receive everything that you would have them to hear this morning. I pray that they would leave out of this building, God, being doers of the word and not just hearers only. God, I pray that I wouldn't, you know, submit or surrender to a spirit of entertainment, God, that I would literally just, you know, say whatever you want me to say. God, I pray that in this moment I would decrease and you would increase in this room. I pray that the Holy Spirit would divvy out this message, however every seed in this room needs to hear it. Father, remove every distraction in this moment. Open our eyes. Open our eyes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So 2 Kings chapter 5, and we're going to just walk through this just really quickly. Verse 1 says, now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man. Say great man. Say great man like you mean it. There we go. I'm going to talk to you 9 o'clock. You got to talk back to me. And he said, he was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him, the Lord had given uh, victory to Aram, and he was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now, here we have this character named Naaman, 
And I'm reading from the New International Version, so my language may read a little bit differently than yours. You may have King James Version. I'm not sure what version you're reading from, but it says that he was the commander of the army of Aram. Now, Aram actually is Syria. It's modern-day Syria. And you have this commander who the Bible describes as a valiant soldier. So this guy can fight. This guy can lead an army. He knows what he's doing. He's very successful. And it says his master calls him a great man. His master calls him a great man. A great man. How many of you guys would like to hear that from your boss at work? Some of y'all. <laughs> so it says his master said he was a great man and highly regarded. Great man. Great man and highly regarded. But then it gets to this interesting word here. At the, at the bottom of verse uh, 1, it says, he was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. He was a great man, but. He was a great man, but. Come on, but. But. Oh, my mind is going so many places right now. But. Behind every great man is a big butt. And now you see this man. He's a great man, but he has leprosy. See, leprosy was a skin condition. It was a skin condition in biblical times that wouldn't necessarily take you out, but what it would do is that it would not give you any relief from itching and scratching and, and picking at these, at these open sores. And, and, and so here you have this, this great man who has this... A physical issue that everyone can see. It's impossible for him to hide it. It's impossible because it's a, it's a, he, he has this itching sensation. He's, he, it's impossible for him to hide the issue that he struggles with. And I thought that it was interesting that the Bible still described him as a great man. See, some of us in this room this morning may not necessarily struggle with leprosy. But there is a but. Okay, some of y'all looking at me like you have arrived. Have you, lift up your hand if somebody in this building has arrived. Or do we still have under construction on our front chest? And so here's Naaman. And it says, but he had leprosy. And I'm not sure what issues or conditions you guys may be struggling with this morning. It could be a variety of things, and I'm sure it possibly is. It could be your butt would be maybe alcoholism. Your butt could be maybe, maybe marital issues. Your butt could be, I don't know, maybe you have a wayward child that everybody knows about, and you're serving on staff here, but everybody's watching you and watching that wayward child just run further and further from the things of God. I'm not sure what is that big butt, but there is a butt that leads you and keeps you at the foot of the cross and lets you know that if it wasn't for the foot of the cross, you wouldn't stay before God is holy and blameless. And so here he is with his condition. Here he is with his condition, and he, and I love this. It says, now bands from Aram, which is Syria, had some girl from Israel taken captive, a young girl. The Bible describes her as a young girl. And I think that's important to note because when you look at that word young in the Hebrew, it means ketar. And, and, and what it means is small. A youth, unimportant, unimportant. I'm sure there's some kids in here, if I, I will probably get an amen if they, some kids felt a little, you know, maybe overlooked or 
Anyhow. But it says small, unimportant, a youth. And so here is this young girl who's actually been taken captive against her will. And she's serving Naaman's wife now. A young girl. And you have this commander in Naaman who this young girl who's against her will, who she had dreams to, I don't know what, but all of those now have been pushed to the side because she's taken captive. Everything that stood before her now appears to be gone. It's presumably gone. And here is this young girl now in this position to be bitter. But look at what this young girl does. She gives the same man advice who's actually responsible for her captivity. Now, though she's, she's there against her will, and it appears as though she's totally outside of her will. Like, she doesn't want to be there. She's outside of her will. But just because you're outside of your will doesn't mean you're not inside of God's will. And so here she is in this, in this position where it seems like her life is totally blown away or thrown away. And God uses her. God is sovereignly working this plan together for Naaman's good. And she gives him advice. Naaman goes and gets a letter from the king of Israel. Excuse me, the king of Syria. The king of Syria takes it to the king of Israel. And there's tension between Israel and Syria. And so the king of Israel is like, man, why is this guy starting beef with me, man? I can't cure people. And my God, why is he sending me a letter about healing this man from leprosy? I can't do that. Elisha hears about it. And Elisha steps up to the plate. Send him here. Send him here. And so now here's the picture I want you to, to, to envision. Because the Bible talks about this man as a valiant soldier. He's a great man. He's highly regarded. So this is a dignitary. This is a dignitary coming through your town. And so he's coming, and the Bible says, with horses and chariots. And so imagine just a massive entourage. You know when they come out of, uh, come out of their... Uh, their locker room in, in a major boxing fight. Anybody watch boxing? Are y'all too spiritual for that? Yeah? Oh, he was talking about boxing. Okay, so, you know, think about Floyd Mayweather when he comes out and there's that huge entourage of people just around him. And this is a dignitary, so I'm, in my mind, where my mind goes is that, you know, there's horns and there's all kinds of stuff going on because there's a huge dignitary now who's actually stepped into Israel. And so he stops at Elisha's house. And he stops at Elisha's house expecting a supernatural encounter. <laughs> but what happens when you get a supernatural word instead of a supernatural encounter? And so he ends up stepping in front of Elisha's house, and Elisha sends out a messenger to him. This is a, a dignitary. Can you imagine the disrespect? The disrespect. <laughs> Can you imagine what he's feeling right now? And so... This messenger comes out and sends him a word. It's in front of everybody. Keep in mind, his whole party, his whole crew is with him. And, he, and, and they're all thinking they're going to see the heavens part. They're going to see, I don't know, just a supernatural healing take place. And he gets a word. And he gets a word that he doesn't like. And why he doesn't like that word is because the word is telling him to go dip in the Jordan seven times. And he, he, his response or his rebuttal is that, man, couldn't I have gone to Arbana or Farfar, the rivers in Damascus? Aren't those rivers so much better than the rivers here in Israel? 
See, because of the tension between Syria and Israel, man, he would have much rather done anything but that. Anything but that. Come on in there like a bath somewhere that I could kind of dip in. But And so here you have this man. He's now received this word and he's angry about the word that he's received. And <laughs> the Bible says that he goes off in a rage. Now envision this. He goes off in a rage. He's walking away from what he actually came there for. God had given him what he was actually looking for, but it came in a different package. He thought his healing was going to come one way, but because it came another way, he got upset. And I don't know who that is for in this building, but maybe you have been believing God for healing in one particular area, and you're upset that God isn't doing it supernaturally in your body. But God said, man, just change up your diet. Stop eating that. Man, I ain't giving up these ribs. Because it's coming in a different package. We get upset about it. As a matter of fact, that reminds me, thank you, Holy Spirit. That reminds me of a story that I heard in Atlanta of a man who actually went and saw a, a, a physician, and he was doing really bad just physically. He was in really poor condition. And he sees this physician, and, and the physician says, well, hey, do you want to live, sir? Yeah, well, yeah, what kind of question is that, right? Like, that's rhetorical, right? Like, I don't even need to answer that. I, yeah, I want to live. And the physician tells him, well, you're going to have to cut out all fried food. Keep in mind, this is, this is in the South. <laughs> Come on, they, they fry donuts. They fry anybody here from the South? <laughs> Come on, you fry Twinkies. Like, what? Butter? Some fried butter on the menu? And so the, the doctor tells him, no fried food for you. And so what this man's response is, I'd much rather die than give up fried foods. I'd much rather go out than give up fried foods. I don't like what that word was that he actually gave to me. And we know that God works through miracles, but God also works through different physicians that he's actually placed and he's anointed in their specific fields. And so here he is continuing to eat the food that he was told not to eat in order to preserve his life. And he passed because he didn't want like the the package that God was trying to heal him through. He came expecting one thing, but God came with a different package. And so here's this man with that same type of decision, and he's walking away from that decision. He's walking away from the decision that would have healed him from that, from that uh, immense skin, just the condition that just caused the itching, the scratching, the, 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 the people looking at you everywhere you go. Do you know what that's like to have an issue that everybody knows about? Anytime you go anywhere, people are watching you. Keep in mind, this isn't an Israelite, so he's not outside the camp. And so here he is just walking away from what God is trying to heal him from. But this is what I love about this story. Look at what happens right here in verse 12, 13. And it says, Naaman's servants went to him and said, Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you have not done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? 
So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored, and he became clean like that of a young man. See, what Naaman was struggling with in that particular moment was a blind spot. It was a blind spot. And all of us have blind spots. And what makes blind spots dangerous is that they're blind spots. I can't see it. If that doesn't humble us in itself, I don't know what does. There's people that see stuff in me that I don't see that's not right. And so here he is, that blind spot sticks its ugly head out by the name of pride. By the name of pride. At the root, it's pride. At the fruit, it might look a little different, but the root of it is pride. And so a blind spot, let me give you just a quick definition of what that word actually means. It means an area where a person's view is obstructed. A person of view where a person's, I'm just butchering that, an area where a person's view is obstructed. Now, I've been married, I'm going on six years in November. I was waiting for the claps, but okay. Listen, I know people that haven't made it past six minutes. So, (laughs) I'm coming up on six years of marriage, and it's taught me a lot. But my wife does this one thing that kind of, it kind of gets at me a little bit. And I know none of you women in here are guilty of this. So I do a majority of the driving. And so as I'm driving, I'm getting like commentary coming from the right side of me. You know, and as I'm driving, I'm like, I got this. You know, as the commentary continues, something inside of me begins to raise up. You know, my kids are in the back, and so I've got to be... Baby, it's okay, it's okay. She says something, and it triggers me. And I told the guys last night, and I'll tell you guys here this morning, I've got one good line for my wife when we have intense moments of fellowship. I am a grown man. Listen, if that doesn't do it, I'm just in trouble. I just, I gave the best that I had. And so here I am. And now we're having an intense moment of fellowship, and we're going back and forth, and, and I'm driving in this lane, and this is just how God sets me up. I'm driving in this lane, and, and there's another vehicle in this lane. And my wife is continuously giving me commentary. And as I'm getting ready to swerve into the other lane, my wife says something like, look out, or something like that, to the point where I see it at the last second. I didn't see it before it happened, but I saw it at the last second. And, and so here is my wife. And we're sitting here going back and forth, and, and I'm like, well, why, why is it that you just can't let me drive? And she says, well, because if we get into an accident, it's going to impact more people than just you. See, 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says, if one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. See, some of the decisions that we make don't only impact you, but they impact the people that are associated with you. So if you walk out of that marriage, who does that impact? That not only impacts that spouse, but it impacts those babies. Now, when you leave that job unannounced just because of an emotional, uh, uh, emotional response, who does that impact? It impact, impacts the entire household whom you are to provide for. When you start playing around and contemplating that different uh, co-worker's telephone number, 
When you begin to look at it, you begin to contemplate it. When you begin to contemplate sending a DM to somebody. You know, when you begin to contemplate that. Are there people around you? Like naming servants. What I love about that scripture says they went to him. They went to him when they saw he was going to make a costly decision. Because that's what these decisions are. They'll cost you. They're expensive. You may not see the cost of them in that particular moment, but over the course of time. How many of you guys know that some of the decisions you made years ago were still impacting you today? And so here he is. He's going to make this costly decision, and his servants tell him, come on, man. Paraphrasing. And he says, come on, man. Like, this is how he wants to heal you. If he said to do something great, wouldn't you do it? And so Naaman jumps, gets into the pool, and gets healed. And he ends up turning to Israel's God. That's the beauty of the story, man. You know, he not only turned to Israel's God based on the servants. Because it's important, man, when you have blind spots. Because with blind spots, you know, you can't see. But it's important to have people around you who can see when you can't see. And so his servants helped the man who couldn't see because they could see he was going to make a terrible decision. Turn with me to Mark chapter 8 really quickly. Mark chapter 8, verse 22. And it reads, they came to Bethsaida. And this story has a, bit, a, a few similarities to it. This is why I want to just highlight it to you here this morning. They came to Bethsaida, and, they, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. Some people brought a blind, blind man to Jesus and begged Jesus to touch him. Some people brought a blind man to Jesus and begged Jesus to touch him. Who brought the blind man to Jesus? Some people. Now, the blind man couldn't see. The blind man didn't have any vision, but he was around people who still had vision. Now, when you can't see, it's so important to be around people who can see. Another parallel to this particular scripture is the paralytic man. The paralytic man, the four guys, the four friends who carry the paralytic man to Jesus. Now, the paralytic man, and I'm talking and, and to those who may not be familiar with the story, there's a, a paralytic man who's trying to get to Jesus, but there's such a, a large crowd of people that are gathered around one of Jesus's is, uh, teaching moments, and, and, and there's no place for them to get into the house. And so what the four men do is they, they bust a hole through the roof and lower the, the, uh, the paralytic man down. Now, with the paralytic man, he couldn't walk. But he kept people around him who could walk. See, it's important. If you have a bad marriage, get around people who've got a great marriage. Come on, if you're struggling with some type of sexual immorality, get around people who are actually walking, walking the walk and talking the talk. And it says, they beg Jesus to touch him. So it's the people that are begging Jesus to touch him. I've always read that wrong. I looked at that as though the blind man was the one begging Jesus to touch him. It was the people that brought the blind man to Jesus who begged Jesus to touch him. They didn't even beg Jesus to heal him. They begged Jesus to touch him. Because everyone in this room, if you don't know, you will find out as you walk with the Lord, anything that he touches changes. It can't stay the same. If it's water, it turns to wine. Come on. Whatever Jesus touches changes. 
And it goes on to say when he, he took the blind man by the hand and spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked him, do you see anything? <laughs> he looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees. And I always, I always find that interesting. He says, I see people, but they look like trees. Hold up, you're blind, man. How can you reference trees? How do you know what trees are like? Like he's referencing trees, but he, he's a blind man. And so he's seeing partially in that moment. Now, how many of you guys know if you're blind and all of a sudden you get partial sight, you're like, I'll take that. But here's this blind man who's dissatisfied with his inability to see. And so he asked Jesus, and he, in that moment he could have been dishonest with Jesus. Oh, I can see. But he was honest with Jesus about where he was at. And if you're not honest with Jesus about where you're at, there's no reality in where you're trying to go. Jesus touches him again. And the Bible says then his sight is restored. And he saw everything clearly. That may be some of us in this room this morning. We just need Jesus to touch us again. You know, he's touched you. It may have been like 10, 15 years ago. But you need Jesus to touch you one more time so that you can see clearly. See, what these people had in these stories were people around them. These were, these were people that were around them that held them accountable. Now, accountability is one of those words that the church knows uh, how, to, how to preach very well about. I don't even know if that's correct English, but the, 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 the church knows how to really teach on accountability. But do we know how to practice it? Do we know how to actually work that out? I'm going to wrap this up just really quickly here. That time flew by. Can you throw me those uh, cloths really quickly here? Thank you, sir. I'm telling you, he's a servant leader. Come on, give it up for your pastor. Now, this is what true biblical accountability looks like. And this, if, if this is all that I came up here to Austin or Round Rock to show you guys, my prayer is that you would remember this illustration, that you would begin to try to live this out in your own life. I don't have a lot of stuff up here, but you'll get the, the gist of this. Let me go ahead and just toss this down here also. You know how we are. We always got to drink somewhere, right? So this is what godly accountability looks like. You're sitting at home. You weren't expecting anyone to come over. They didn't announce that they were coming. All of a sudden, you hear. You look at your wife like, she's looking at you like, I ain't talked to nobody. And it's somebody that knows you. So they hear the TV on in the living room. And they won't stop knocking. Cobb, I know you in there. But now I know they're not going to stop because they hear the TV coming. So this is what we do. This is the junk in the house. Hey, how are you doing? Hi. And they go, your home is so beautiful. Oh, why, thank you. And so now they walk away with a false perception 
of who you really are. See, biblical accountability says this. People you're walking with, doing life with, and I'm just going to reference this scripture really quickly, Hebrews 10.25, write it down. That's why the Bible talks about forsaking not the assembling of those. Anytime that we meet, don't forsake that. It says to encourage one another. And that word encourage, when you break it down, it's, it's two Greek words. Para, P-A-R-A, and then kaleo. Para means to come alongside, and kaleo means to encourage. And so when you compound those words, it's come alongside to encourage. That was the intent of the gathering. So they could come alongside and encourage. And the picture was to lock arms. Nah, you can do this. You can do this. Don't quit. You can do this. That's the picture. So now here's biblical accountability. One knock, nobody answers. They've already got the key to walk in. So they walk in and they see all the mess. How's your marriage? How are the kids doing? How's your sex life with your spouse? How are the finances? How's your job going? How are you dealing with that depression issue? How are you dealing with that mental issue? Accountability sees the mess, but it loves you through the mess. It doesn't see you as less than a man and or a woman of God. See, Galatians 6, 1 says, if a brethren has, has been overtaken by a fault, you which are spiritual, restore him with the spirit of meekness. But it goes on to say, carry each other's burdens. Carry each other's burdens. Well, if you enjoyed today's podcast, there's a couple things I'd love for you to do. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. You can also invest in helping us empower others to follow Jesus by texting any dollar amount to 512-520-0185. Thanks again for joining us today on the Faith for Life podcast.